0: Welcome to the BizTimes MKE Podcast. I'm BizTimes Associate Editor, Arthur Thomas. On this week's episode, we're sharing a portion of the recent family and closely held business summit that we held in late June. Uh, This portion is our editor, Andrew Weiland's interview uh, with Carl Rick, a third generation uh, spokesperson and training manager at QuickTrip. The uh, seemingly ubiquitous uh, gas station and convenience store and everything um, store chain um, throughout Wisconsin and other states in the Midwest. Um, in this episode, you'll hear Carl talk about uh, Quick Trip's culture, how it approaches um, family uh, business issues, how the emphasis on cleanliness uh, supports the the sales of food, which. Uh, when you think about it, it, makes a lot of sense. So really hope you enjoy this episode. It's available um, on demand as well at biztimes.com slash family. Uh, you can also find the rest of our content from the event there, including a panel discussion with Ali Ellsworth, Martin Galoon, Lacey Sadoff, and Andrew Steinhoffel. Um, they're all family business owners from Glue Dots International, Meadowcraft of Mayville, Badger Liquor, and Steinhoffels. Um, along with breakout sessions um, that delve deeper into family business topics. So if you're interested, again, biztimes.com slash family for the rest of the family business event. Uh, this event wouldn't have been possible without our sponsors, so we want to thank them. Davis and Kielthau, the Riverwood Wealth Management Group at Morgan Stanley, National Exchange Bank and Trust, SVA Certified Public Accountants, Uh, Supporting sponsor Vistage and our partners, the Family Business Leadership Partners and the Family Business Center at the Wisconsin School of Business. So with that, I will hand it over to Andrew and his interview with Carl Rick.
1: Family owned and based in La Crosse, Quick Trip has grown impressively since its humble beginnings with a single store that opened in 1965. It grew to 50 stores in 1983, 100 in 1986, and 500 in 2016. Today, Quick Trip is the 13th largest convenience store chain in the country, according to CSP Magazine, and the company now has 772 stores, most of them in Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Iowa. 86-year-old Don Zitlow has been involved with Quick Trip since the beginning, and still leads the company's day-to-day operations as president and CEO. Two of Don's children and his daughter-in-law are members of the company's board of directors, as is he. Three members of the company's, or of the family's third generation work full-time for the company, including our guest today, Carl Rick, a training manager and spokesman for Quick Trip. Carl married his high school sweetheart, Emily, Don's granddaughter, and six years ago, Don invited Carl to leave his career as an educator and join the family business. I'm delighted to have Carl Drummond here for a fireside chat to talk about the unique culture of this family business and what has made Quick Trip so successful. So Carl, start off, um, just tell us about how Quick Trip got his start and, and how, how Don got involved.
2: Well, we uh, were founded in 1965. Our very first store opened up in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, actually. Fun trivia fact for you. We weren't in Lacrosse. Uh, although our roots were very early on in lacrosse, so Don at that time worked for a grocery wholesaler, uh, Gateway Foods, and he had worked his way up through the company uh, running their meat department and uh, wholesaling for grocers. Uh, at that time grocery was really undergoing a renovation. Stores were getting bigger and bigger uh, as people did their shopping less and less because you had refrigerators and things like that. So they were trying to figure out what to do with some of their older, smaller footprint stores and they uh, noticed this uh, company down in Texas doing some unique things in convenience retailing, which really didn't have much of a name at that point. But 7-Eleven was doing some things down there. And so they took a small store uh, in, uh, down by the river in Eau Claire, and they converted it from a full and gross, traditional grocery store, traditional grocery, neighborhood grocery store, and, and switched it out to the C-store model. And they did that with a few other stores as well, a couple on the cross, one down in Iowa, uh, and it kind of hung around there for the th- next five years or so. Uh, and eventually those kind of started to waffle as well. They, were just, they weren't just were performing as, had, as they had hoped. And at this time, Don was involved with the running, but not ownership. Uh, and they got those stores, owners together, and were looking for ideas to make them successful. And uh, Don has never been one to hold back on his opinions. So uh, he was sharing his opinions as, as their wholesaler, and one of the uh, owners spoke up, if you're so smart, you can have my store. Sold. <laughs> uh, so in 1971, he became a, a one-third owner in Quick Trip. Uh, we were owned by three different families at that time, and uh, he largely stayed with the Gateway in the grocery business until he bought out one of the partners in 1989. He bought out uh, the Reinhardt family, uh, and then it was the Hanson family and, and the Zitlow families until 2000 when we bought out the, the Hanson family. It's been in our family uh, solely ever since.
1: Uh, Carl, what would you say has led, most importantly, to the growth of the company to, to go from one store to now no, several hundred?
2: Uh, growth of the company has to do with our coworkers. Uh, Don has... Uh, worked it down through the family, a firm commitment to them. And the the best commitment, the best thing we can do for our coworkers is is grow. Number one, it gives our existing coworkers upward mobility and opportunity. And as we create a bigger, better business, a key part part for the family, uh, ever since 1989 when he bought out that first business partner, partner, uh, we've operated a 40% profit sharing program. So 40% of our gross profits get shared back with our coworkers each and every day. Uh, so the bigger we grow, the better we grow, the more we can share with our coworkers, and then we can increase our coworker count and create better opportunities and more opportunities uh, for our 30,000 co-workers that work to serve you our guests each and every day. So I want to
1: dig deeper into that culture side of it because I think that's what especially makes Quick Trip unique. First of all, you use the word coworkers. You don't call them employees. That's important, isn't it?
2: Yeah. Uh, you know, employees, staff. We look at it as coworkers. Um, you mentioned there's three of us in the family in the third generation that work full time at Quick Trip. Regardless, uh, if you work full time at Quick Trip, the family all works in a, that ownership, that stockholder capacity to make sure Quick Trip's around for the future. So whether this is your, your chosen career or not, the entire family is involved. And then we're working with our coworkers, with our staff, with their employees. Uh, they're not here to serve us. We're here to serve them and make each other better. And if we can make each other better, uh, that will be so much better for you, the guest, and you'll keep coming back. And then we'll be successful long into the future.
1: Yeah, so I want to elaborate more on you mentioned the profit sharing program. And there's also end of year bonuses. And I know you're committed to paying above market wages as well for the, for the coworkers. Um, What's the drive for that? You know, know Quick Trip is an interesting store that, you know, there are customers that are fanatically loyal to Quick Trip, quite frankly. It has kind of a cult brand reputation. I assume that your commitment to taking care of the, the co-workers is to foster their efforts to go above and beyond to serve the customer and create customer loyalty. Is that... Am I on the right track there?
2: Uh, you're on the right track a little bit. I would say it's more the coworker loyalty, though. Um, Don had a very rough upbringing. Uh, father passed away when he was six, uh, and he didn't have much at all growing up. And then when he first uh, first job off the farm, he was driving truck, you know, working 14, 15, 16 hour days. Uh, after a particularly long day, uh, he got caught cussing about the company by his supervisor. Uh, the fact that he was doing all the work and not seeing any of the benefits. Uh, And his supervisor said something that stuck with him and said, if you're going to work for a company, work for the company. Otherwise, quit, and then you can, you know, complain all you want. Uh, But that stuck with him. And so when he and and Grandma had that opportunity to uh, take ownership control in 1989 uh, and become two-thirds owner in Quick Trip, that was... A Commitment they made to their other the, the Hanson family that we, we would like to share 40% and we'll be 50 50 partners in the business I'll show sell you a portion of my share if you agree to the 40% profit sharing and, and That accomplishes a couple of things number one Our co-workers are our most important asset You know they are not just our biggest expense in labor, but they are our biggest expense in profit we share the, the most that we get with them. Of course, number two goes to Uncle Sam uh, is our second largest area for profit sharing. Uh, but they get the first big piece of the pie. They get the biggest piece of the pie because really, quite frankly, they're the ones doing the work. We can't do it. We have to rely on them. And really what that does, besides uh, making their lives better, it also, you know, it's de facto ownership. It's really simple. If they make a dollar, they get 40 cents. If they lose a buck, they lost 40 cents. And so at the end of our year, come uh, our fiscal year wraps up into September. By the time the books are wrapped up come November, December, uh, then we share those profit-sharing checks with our coworkers. And what we do is we divide that out based on eight wages earned. So it doesn't matter if you're a coworker that was there for uh, one quarter of the fiscal year or your vice president that's been there for 35. uh, This last year, your profit-sharing was 11% of your income that year. And then we contributed another 5 uh, another five percent of your income to a four hundred one K that we offer to every coworker that's federally eligible. So we we had a nice little December if you're a coworker at Quick Trip this year. I mean is that how challenging is that financially to make that work? What do your bankers think of it? Well it almost sunk us to start. Um, trying to convince the bank that you're gonna, you know, not pay them off, you're gonna pay off your coworkers first back in eighteen eighty nine when we were trying to secure the loan uh, to buy out the other family. Uh, we had 120 days to secure what the money we needed, and we got the last bank on board on day 119. Uh, when we Don first pitched it to them, we had a number of bankers just get up and walk out of the room. That's a crazy business model. You can't make it work. And so the co- first couple of years were lean. We didn't have much to share because we weren't making much. We were paying uh, paying back the banks. Part of that agreement, the family couldn't... Uh, take any money out for a number of years and then again in 2000 we couldn't take any money out for a number of years. Uh, but it's been tremendous, tremendous assets for our coworkers as of late uh, and this year uh, if we're on track we could push almost a billion dollars shared with our coworkers uh, since 1989. Wow, that's, that's amazing.
1: Uh, I'm going to ask a question from the audience here which is how was the company culture which we've been talking about, how was that impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic, what actions do you take to keep your team engaged?
2: You now, quite frankly, the biggest thing we did is we uh, talked to our store leaders more. You know, you're not gonna, we've always made it a very big point of our culture, a big big point of pride with the family, uh, to have face-to-face contact with our coworkers every year. Don still goes to every ribbon cut. Uh, we have literally face-to-face meetings every year with every coworker in the company and that couldn't happen because of covid Uh, so we made a lot of effort to talk with our district leaders our store leaders and said you guys have to take this from us you have to uh, burden the culture if you will you've got to carry the culture for us until we can step back into our normal routines and that was really the biggest pivot we made if i can use the word pivot once Um, (laughs) beyond that we tried not to change as much You know, there's a lot to be said for peer pressure. If we had the right people on board before, they can keep us rolling until we can actively build our culture again. And our hiring folks, our recruiters, our store leaders did a great job of making sure they had strong enough teams that they could get us through until we could actively make pushes uh, to work directly with our culture again. So quite honestly, other than making sure we said thank you more, that's really all we changed.
1: You were busy during the pandemic, weren't you?
2: Yeah, we had to say thank you a lot more because we were incredibly busy. Uh, in the span of a week, sales, fuel sales dropped 35%. Uh, our business model changed drastically uh, as all of our lifestyles changed drastically. We lost all of our commuter traffic on Monday mornings in many locations. Nobody's going to the office. They're not going to stop in and buy a coffee and a breakfast sandwich. They're not, kids are not in activities at night they're not going to be swinging through to, you know, grab supper on the quick on the way to basketball or baseball or whatever else is happening. Uh, but we struggled to keep up like almost everybody else. It was really our production facilities that saved the day for us. Uh, people got nervous, I think, to spend a lot of time in grocery stores. We were told, you know, 15 minutes, 15 minutes, 15 minutes. Well, our average guest is in the store for a touch over three minutes. And we offer everything you need for a meal solution since you weren't going out to eat anymore. And quite frankly, we had easy meals since many people either didn't want to cook previously or didn't have the time to cook, or many people are not taught how to cook anymore. Uh, so we had all of us on our basket size uh, went up almost 50% in a week as well. Guests were buying more. Their shopping trips, we were walk, watching people walk out the store, and instead of an $8 basket, their coffee, their breadsticks in the morning or you know, Whatever, whatever their snack was, their guilty pleasure, they were buying $40, $50 worth of groceries, and they were spending five minutes in the store uh, with us instead. At one point, uh, we ran nothing but white bread in our, production, in our bakery facility for 24 hours straight, or the entire week. We were within about 12 hours of running out of white bread. Uh, it just, as long as we had those raw ingredients, we could keep up, we could keep everything delivered. Uh, but we had to make sure we got the raw ingredients from our vendors uh, in the tri-state area.
1: I'm going to ask another question from the audience. Two recognizable things with your brand, our culture, which you've been talking about, and cleanliness. How do you deliver and implement these with your coworkers uh, and maintain the diligence to keep them at a very high level?
2: Uh, we made a very conscious decision back in 2002 to pivot what we sold. Uh, in 2002, uh, historically, we were not that much different from many convenience stores, Cokes and smokes. You know, tobacco made up 50% of our sales. And so what are we going to do as government regulation uh, comes in, as people find out that's not the healthiest thing in the world? What are we going to do to replace that? And we chose to roll out that hot food bar in 2002. And if people are going to eat in a convenience store, which has been the butt of a joke for as long as convenience stores have been around. (laughs) We have to be clean. There's just no two ways about it. And so to lead that charge, one of the first things we did is we made sure the fuel island's clean. Where else in society do you have a captive audience for three to five minutes? They're standing there, the car's filling up, and all they're doing is scanning your parking lot. And if you're dirty, they're not going to buy food. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we, we really stressed the outside of the stores. And then Don made it, again, his emphasis distress uh, the bathrooms uh, well over a third of our guests use our facilities when they come in to purchase something again where else do you have a captive audience so as they're looking around that bathroom if it's not clean they are not buying food and that's what we had staked our future on uh, so that's where the bathroom pledge comes in if you ever look in our restrooms you see an 800 of them are there to call in and if you if there's something wrong uh, Don will personally call you back uh, every, at Friday morning. Uh, so last week we had, or two weeks ago rather, we had nearly 10 million guests through our stores during the course of the week. and uh, We had eight bathroom complaints, but he called them all back on Friday morning. Wow. And I personally apologize that they didn't meet that guest standard. Uh, so if Don's on board with keeping the bathrooms clean, you can pretty well bet everybody else is on board with, with keeping the bathrooms clean because nobody wants to end up on that naughty list. I,
1: I want to ask you more about Don's role in the company. Um, 86-year-old CEO and president.
2: What Describe his role. Um, you got to keep up. Wow. Uh, he's uh, still in the office more than most of our coworkers. He's definitely actively leading the company. It's not a title position for him. Uh, it's, uh, this is what I'm here to do is lead on uh, until somebody else is ready and make sure our coworkers have a bright future in front of them. And so he is most definitely actively leading the company. Uh, if anything, COVID got more. Um, I guess I will not say turbulent, but at times, because uh, he had nothing to do but read. He wasn't watching grandkids. He wasn't watching great-grandkids at sports. He was at home reading, uh, and you never knew what he was going to read or what grocery on the West Coast was doing that he was reading in some industry publication, uh, what was going to spring up next. So uh, he is very much so actively involved uh, with the day-to-day direction of the company. Uh, he's starting to step back. Uh, he has not chaired our board of directors ever, uh, his son, Scott, chairs the board, so that's been interesting to watch that dynamic through the years. Uh, he's very much so involved with our board, but he chooses not to ch- to chair it. Uh, but day-to-day, absolutely involved with the direction of the company. Um, and, you know, still very much so that first-generation entrepreneur, this is what we're going to do. Uh, you know, the, the rollout of take-home meals would be a prime example. Now, it just happened to hit during COVID very fortuitously Uh, But we had three or four years of research, R&D, and building and capital expense behind the scenes to get ready for that. And that was him. This is what we're going to do. People aren't cooking. They're running the stuff at night. Uh, Grocery stores are doing it. There's no reason we can't do it. Let's get some take-home meals out there. I want to
1: ask you about the, the second generation. As I mentioned earlier, three members of the second generation are also on the board with Don, um, describe their involvement. They're, they're board members, but but they aren't involved in the day-to-day with the company, right?
2: Yeah, you're absolutely correct. Um, grandma's always been very firm that to let the kids do what they want to do. And so uh, my mother-in-law is the oldest. Uh, she was a preschool teacher when she wasn't staying at home with her own family, raising them. Uh, her brother is a you know, classic underachiever, so to speak. Uh, he's a, the lead trauma surgeon at Mayo when he's not chairing <laughs> our board of directors. And then his wife is a, uh, as a children's phys- physician over there as well, a pediatrician and works in their administration, when they, and she s- serves on our board of directors. Uh, there's always encouragement to look at Quick Trip with the kids, the grandkids, uh, but grandma's always been very firm. Talk about it, be excited about it, but don't push it. You can't push a rope. Uh, All you'll do is push people away if you push too hard. So let them have their own roles and then let them bring their experience. Uh, And that's one thing Don's figured out how to do very well is let people bring their experience from other areas, other sectors of the economy, and let's apply them to what we do at Quick Trip. Uh, So with uh, my wife's aunt and uncle, for example, both being well-regarded in the medical field, uh, we were the first in our industry and one of the first, actually the first in the cross, to th- offer an on-site clinic for our coworkers. It's a tremendous benefit, uh, and it's helped us tremendously to control our insurance costs. We're self-insured. It's been a huge cost savings for us. And more importantly than a cost savings, it's been a benefit that our coworkers have loved, and they're healthier for it.
1: And so the third generation that we mentioned, there, there are three individuals. You're one of them that are involved in the day-to-day. I, I want to talk about, now you've touched on this a little bit, but just how you handle everyone in the family, how often you talk about the business, how much encouragement is given to bring them into the business, if, if there's any pressure to do that. You know, how, how do you educate? I know you have regular meetings about, about what's going on. Talk about those things on how the, the, the fan members are kept in the loop and are there, how, how much they're brought in or encouraged or freedom. Yeah, they, how do you yeah all that.
2: There, there's always encouragement. It's, uh, Grandpa really doesn't have any hobbies anymore. The guys he used to play cards with are gone. He can't walk the golf course. So all he does is work. So when you go to grandma and grandpa's house, that's what you talk about It's Quick Trip, whether you want to or not. <laughs> um, but with the third generation, our third generation, we've got uh, 14 in the third generation. Uh, there's four girls in the first family, four boys in the second family, and then s- uh, three of each in the third family. Uh, we've all, always been encouraged to, my wife and her cousins growing up, always been encouraged to uh, partake in Quick Trip as much or as little as they wanted to. Uh, so through high school, my wife and her sisters all worked in our office sorting mail. Uh, once they got old enough, they went out and worked retail. Uh, My wife worked retail until the kids came along. Uh, Her sisters did the same thing. Uh, Some of her cousins have taken similar paths. Some of them have said, you know, this is great, uh, but I want to pursue this. And they've coached Little League or things like that. Uh, When it came to school, though, the same rules applied for the grandchildren. If you want to come try Quick Trip out, you're more than welcome. Uh, We'll give you every opportunity, uh, but we're not going to push it. We don't want to push people out. Uh, and so today, as you've mentioned, uh, there's out of the 14 grandchildren, there's actually one. Uh, there's only one grandchild. The other two are myself and then one other in-law. And it's kind of unique to us that the family has welcomed the in-laws in as well. Uh, from the very start, uh, grandma and grandpa very religious. They take marriage very seriously. Uh, but you are definitely their child, their grandchild, the day you say, I do. And so I've never been treated any differently than any of the actual children, which has been a tremendous blessing. So they let me do my thing as an educator. Um, and then as education and the bureaucracy involved with education, even private private education got to me, uh, started planting those seeds that, you know, we can remove some of that in a family business. Uh, and eventually just kept talking about the benefits. You know, you can come and train adults. You don't have to train kids. You won't get phone calls at 930 at night about homework if you come and train (laughs) adults. And they have to pay attention because their job depends on it. Uh, They just won't uh, be on to the next classroom the next year. So there's always encouragement. We do the same thing with the fourth generation. Uh, We get together twice a year as a family. Uh, We have five board meetings a year during two of them. We designate them as family weekends. We encourage everybody to come. but then, after the board meeting is done on Friday, we get together as a family for the rest of the weekend uh, with sometimes with the lawyers and the accountants, sometimes not. Uh, but there's always some type of educational topic for the second and third generation uh, to make sure that we are responsible uh, shareholders, responsible co- uh, owners, uh, so our coworkers have a future with us. And then, while that's happening, the fourth generation uh, goes off with some of the coworkers that, that like kids. And they do their own activities. So a couple of years ago, we said being clean and food service is important to us. Uh, so a couple of years ago, the fourth generation, they went off and they learned how to wash their hands. You know, we got them all dirty. And then you got that fun UV goo stuff they put on their hands and put their hands under a black light to see how dirty their fingernails were, which was fantastic with a toddler until we had to leave the house in a hurry. And then she was still washing her hands five minutes later for the next week and a half. Uh, the year after that, we talked about dispatch with the kids. You know, we ran 29 million miles with our fleet delivering petrol and the perishables to the store. So dispatching about 180 trucks a day right now is a real big deal for us. And so we took the kids, and the ones with longer legs got a very inefficient route to deliver candy to the relatives' desks. So they were first floor, third floor, first floor, second floor, because we mixed in some coworkers that they would know. And then they had to run four blocks to the other side of campus to my office. And the younger ones with shorter legs got a nice orderly third floor, second floor, first floor, north to south in the building as they went. Uh, And the older ones were very disappointed when they lost. But well, you could talk about efficient routing. You could talk about real estate purchasing then. So the, the family that lives out in Colorado, because that's where their career has taken them, you could talk to my niece and say, well, you remember how it took so long to get to Uncle Carl's office? That's why you can't have a store out in Colorado because we can't get a truck out there and back every day. And she understood that as a kindergartner. And all of a sudden, real estate was starting to make sense.
1: We're going to revisit some of those topics later. Um, but I want to go to some audience questions. A quick one was, how large is the board? We talked about the family members of the board. How large is the board? And do you have any outside directors on the board?
2: Yeah, so we have a board charter that's been ex- in existence since we bought out uh, the Hanson family. Uh, it always requires a majority of the board to be comprised of family members. Uh, and it allows for the board to be as small as five and as large as 15. Uh, currently, as you mentioned, it's a Don and three in the second generation. So we have four family members on the board currently. Uh, We also have two non-family members on our board. Uh, We had a gentleman leave that was on our board uh, probably about a year ago now because the company, uh, he he likes to dabble in private industry quite a bit, and he bought up a company that was one of our vendors. So with the uh, conflict there, uh, he chose to leave our board of directors, and we're looking to fill that role. We've got some, uh, I think we've got it narrowed down at this point. Uh, But we liked, we we will add that third member. So Craig Culver sits on our board of directors. Um, That's always interesting with him, competing directly with him in restaurants, especially with the takeout of fried chicken uh, the last year or so. And then we also uh, have a former grocery wholesaler, a CEO on our board of directors as well.
1: Another question from the audience. How do you navigate decision-making as a family if you have differences of opinion?
2: (laughs) Better or for worse, uh, Don is, as the first generation still, that's the way it is. If he says it, that's the way it's going to be. We're taking some very active steps to work through that with the family meetings and stuff. Uh, We've had a a loose organization for about a dozen years, and then we formalized that with a family council uh, three years ago now. So that family council, we're laying the groundwork for. You know, we know Don's going to be gone at some point, uh, but we are very much so laying the groundwork of. This is how the family is going to decide things, and then we're also do we do lots of exercises with the family. With is this a, what's a board decision, what's an ownership decision, what's a family council decision, what's a business day to day decision that, you know. You might have a great idea, but you don't work here each and every day. Uh, uh, one skew in the grocery set, that might be nice, but what influence do you have on that? So uh, it's something we're laying the groundwork for. We, we have some practice at it, especially in the second generation. Uh, you know, growing up in the house together, they, they've learned how to fight to siblings. Uh, they do it pretty well, uh, but it's always, at the end of the day, they, they do have a very good sense of family. Uh, we're beginning to see more in that in the third generation. We're beginning to be exposed to more and more of that, that when they have disagreements, this is how they talk and, and settle things. Uh, it's almost always talks, long phone conversations, sometimes late at night. Uh, but we try to do it. Uh, we're we're going to fight your family. But we. Tr- you know, at the end of the day, you are family. Uh, and that's the other thing grandma and grandpa have done a very good job of of is as much as our coworkers and company mean to us as much as we want to foster that future we have to be a family first if we're not operating as a family quick not only will the family not work but quick trip won't work under our ownership so that's something we put a lot of stress on spend a lot of time reading and researching
1: how involved in philanthropy is is the company um i want to talk about your your cultural philosophy there
2: mm-hmm. Uh, we do quite a bit uh, as a company. We have a couple different, we've got a, depending on dollar amounts, we've got a large and a small donation committee. Uh, small donations, generally anything under $5,000. Uh, there we have family representation along with business representation. Uh, we have far more business representation there than we do family. The families, we, uh, I serve on that committee. Uh I get a little extra deference in a decision, but it, that always does come down to a poll if it's close. Uh, for large donations, uh, there it's a little over half family controlled. Same thing, it's a committee. Uh, the family's got four votes on that committee. There is three business votes uh, in that committee as well. Uh, we actively look to, to participate in the communities that we're in. Uh, and so those are just the requests we get. And then we actually, you know, of course, look to donate in other ways. So whether it's Feeding America, uh, the different food networks that we donate to any of our unused sales. Uh, we actually just surpassed two million pounds of unused or unsold food uh, for our fiscal year with a quarter to go that went to food banks and food pantries in need right now. Uh, and then a separate from the business, our family also has our own foundation. We have an Antioch Foundation. Uh, we're in the top 20 in the state of Wisconsin for uh, assets managed. Uh, and that will get bigger at some point. Uh, but uh, another way, Grandma and Grandpa, this is why we have this gift, is to share with others. And if anything, we want you to gel around that and in, enjoy giving away uh, what we've been blessed with so other people can be blessed as well.
1: I want to talk about the future of the company in our, in our last minutes of our discussion here. Um, first of all, have you worked on a succession plan for Don?
2: Yeah, we've absolutely, we've had a succession plan. We've had an emergency plan in place uh, since we bought out the previous family because Don was already in his 60s. Uh, we do have a succession plan in place uh, at, at a high level for Don if something were to happen. Uh, you know He's in very good health. Uh, So we don't know if he's got six more months or if he's got 10 more years. And if he's going to be around on earth for 10 more years, he's going to be in the office. So uh, we can't uh, move too far ahead with that. Uh, But we absolutely have had one in place. Uh, And we've shared it down on a need-to-know basis with our coworkers and the family. So uh, some of the family members know all the details. Uh, Many don't. Um, and same thing with our coworkers, the ones that need to know, know the, if there's not a need for you, then there's no reason to create animosity. Uh, because if Don's around for another 10 years, things could change.
1: How serious is your commitment to remaining a family owned company? Uh, is there any talk of selling the company, bringing in outside investors, going public? What happens when you even think that way?
2: Um, no, <laughs> uh, Probably five or six years ago at a family weekend, um, it's, we've always allowed it up to the individual family members to be as involved as they want to be or not. And to this point, many have chosen to be very involved. Uh, and I said something at that meeting, making sure it was going to stay that way. And Don mistook it, and I about got thrown out of the room, uh, that that is not an option to sell. Uh, so being on the other side of the state in La Crosse, a uh, big industrial town historically, we had Highlam Brewery, private family owned, got sold, went into bankruptcy. We had La Crosse Footwear, private, got sold, went into bankruptcy. We had, you know, Alice Chalmers Tractors. We had a, a lot of stuff in La Crosse. It was a very blue-collar town. Train started in La Crosse, which is now part of Ingersoll Ran. And every time one of those private family-held companies got sold, bad things happened. And so it's very, very important to the family, to Don, especially as he's watched all those things happen, to make sure it stays in the family, to make sure that at the end of the day we have control to make the right decisions. And then if bad things happen to our coworkers, it's on us. It's not because we cashed in and wanted to make out and do well for ourselves because we already do well enough
1: with well over 700, really approaching 800 stores, um, located mostly Wisconsin, Iowa, Minnesota. You talked about those stores are supplied out of La Crosse. I know you have a you have a dairy, you have a bakery, you have a commissary all at your your headquarters complex. I think you told me it was a billion dollar facility and you need to be able to serve stores that you can reach you know, within a, a day's truck driver or whatever what are your expansion plans how many more stores can you serve in that footprint how far do you want to extend that footprint have you thought about you know doing another you know complex that could serve other parts of the country
2: yeah we've looked at all that uh so this current c- calendar year we're going to put up 40 new stores we've got 10 stores that are old and they're tired so we're going to rebuild them so a net of 50 new stores essentially uh we are In the next five years or so, we're going to build between 40 to 50 new stores a year. By the end of that, it'll probably be 60 or 70 new stores a year on top of replacing our older stores as they get tired. Uh, To your point, yeah, we have our production facilities in La Crosse. We deliver to every single store every day, so we need to get out and back every day. Uh, And what we've learned through the years is that we can actually do that with a little bit of a spoken hub approach. Uh, So uh, we actually station drivers uh, throughout our network. Uh, we've got we pick up petroleum from 29 different locations, so the petrol guys are out in 29 different cities in five different states, even though we only operate in four of them to pick up uh, petrol to the closest store. Uh, for our perishable drivers driving what you see in the store, we deliver about 80% of the products in the stores ourselves. You know, Coke won't let us deliver Coke for them, apparently they've got the supplier network wrapped up pretty tight. Uh, but we deliver everything we can ourselves because we can control the food and the safety of that product and we can do it cheaper than outside uh, vendors. And so really that's our limiting factor for distance. But what we found is if you go to Iowa, for example, uh, we can get a truck down to Waterloo, Iowa, and back on a short day for a driver at the end of his week when he's running short of hours. And then we've got drivers in Waterloo that can take that to the rest of Iowa. Or we've got drivers in the Twin Cities. You can run a truck up there uh, and a hot seat at then up to St. Cloud and, and further markets. So we know we can get a lot farther than we are out right now. Um, But we still have a lot of infill to do where we're at. You know, we're not in Racine. We're not in Milwaukee proper. We're not in Minneapolis-St. Paul proper. We are just splashed into Des Moines, Iowa, which is one of the biggest real estate markets in the country right now. Uh, We don't go into Illinois except for two stores that we got with stop-and-go acquisition this last fall. Um, So, you know, 115 miles away, we could be across the border, and we're just not there yet. Casey's uh, out of Iowa, Uh, Iowa has half the population of Wisconsin, and they have twice as many Casey's in the state of Iowa as we have quick trips in Wisconsin. Uh, So there's definitely room to grow in Wisconsin, uh, and there's a lot more room to grow through uh, Minnesota, Uh, get out to Dakotas at some point. Uh, We could hit that 29 corridor, get out to Iowa farther uh, west and south, and then we'll be in the UP in the near future as well.
1: So a lot of exciting things to come from Quick Trip. Absolutely. Well, uh, that's all the time we're going to have for Carl. So I want to thank you, Carl, for joining the conversation here.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: This is Dan Meyer with BizTimes Media. You've been listening to the BizTimes MKE Podcast. For more business news and insights, be sure to go to biztimes.com and subscribe to any of our daily e-newsletters and our magazine, BizTimes Milwaukee.